Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast with Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire, back to Lafleur. Oh! The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. There is a Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle une passe devant. Et c'est la victoire des Canadiens. You found the dogs. John, you found the dogs. He found the dogs. And all together they worked a young team to the top. And now a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground, your premier gaming destination. It's going to be sick. It is going to be sick, Marinero, on this Tuesday, November 28th. Welcome, 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 everyone watching on YouTube, on Facebook, and on Twitter. How are you doing tonight? Once again, the Sick Podcast brought to you in part by Energy Transportation Group, named by the Financial Times as one of America's fastest-growing companies in 2023 and have been recognized by the Globe and Mail as a top-growing Canadian company for two years in a row. They work with some of the biggest Fortune 500 companies, providing end-to-end logistics services. Join a winning team and check out Energy's career page for available opportunities. Also brought to you in part by La Bête TB, brewed in Quebec and a winner of a dozen international awards. La Bête TB offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. La Bête TB, embrace your true nature and... Brought to you in part by Playground. Experience the world-renowned poker experience with free food and drinks at their cash game tables. A bad beat jackpot that is already over $700,000 after the world record-setting amount of $2,590,000 was won back on August. The second weekly promotion, daily tournaments, unmatched customer service. Why play anywhere else? Located just over the Mercy Bridge. Only minutes from downtown Montreal Playground. Today, on this November 28th, there's a lot to talk about. And if the the date doesn't ring a bell, it will in just about a second. Let's bring up, without further ado, former Montreal Canadian, Josh Larac of BPM Spa Radio. What's going on? What's going on, Tony? I love your radio show, George, between 12 and 3. I particularly love the segment starting at 12.40 p.m. I have to admit, it is my favorite. <laughs> yeah, because it's your segment, man. Thank you, thank you. I get it. I get it. Thank I get you. it. I, I love debating with you every day. George, uh, I'm happy that you're joining me tonight. And by the way, by the way, earlier today, I had a chance to pre-record with Mike Johnson. And uh, you'll get that in about, uh, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes time. But before we get to that, there's, um, I think you're going to be a great guest tonight. Because, of course, uh, you're a former Montreal Canadian. And uh, I want to talk to you about Corey Perry. We're going to get to that situation a little bit later. But before we do, November 28th, it rings a bell? November 28th, rings a bell? November 28th, uh, no. It was two years ago that Jeff Molson picked up the phone, called Mark Bergevin, and called Trevor Timmons and said, thank you for your services, but they will no longer Whoa. be required. It is the two-year anniversary. So as we 
look at it right now. Do you think the Canadians made the right move in relieving them of their duties two years ago today? Oh, he's hesitating. It's an unfair question, and I'll tell you why. While Bergman was there, with Carey Price and the players that he had in his hand, he had to win now. And he brought this team to the Stanley Cup final. You know, they were close to winning the Cup. That was his job with the player he has now. The new management, the job now is to rebuild. So we cannot compare. You can't compare both what they did. Bergeron did good with what he had. And the new management, they're rebuilding. So right now, they have no pressure. I'll tell you why so it's a very cannot, fair I can, question. I, I cannot compare both, uh, both management, man. I'll tell you why it's a very fair question. Okay. Because instead of relieving Mark Bergevin of his duties, if Jeff Molson had decided that he was going to go the way of the rebuild, he could have given the rebuild to Mark Bergevin. So it's a fair question. He could have mandated Bergevin over the next couple of seasons to say, give me a rebuild. Having said that, a rebuild, as you know, can last any amount of time, but give or take on average, it probably lasts give or take five years. Some of them last longer. Let's just say on average it's five. So you would have had Mark Bergevin for another five years after he was already there for nine and a half. Well, Tony, Tony, the thing is, you know, GM, it changed. Like, you can't always have the same GM for like years. Like, yeah, after five, ten years, you change and you need new ideas, new direction. So it's just normal. You did ten years here, so... He did good in the 10 years that was here. Now we have a new GN that comes in. But Tony, I have news for you and for everybody that are listening. I hope this team is going somewhere. Because right now, if you look at this team this year, compared to last year, are they better? Uh, look, at the core, look at the core of the players right now. They're look not how worse. many players are struggling right now. I, one thing I know, Tony, for sure is that in two years, in one year, two years, people will be demanding that this team make the playoff every single year. And the way it's going right now, it does not look like it. They can, but the re- rebuilding does not mean that you will succeed. And there will be pr- pressure starting next year. Well, now everybody is buying the rebuild, team. right? You got to get lucky too. Also, also, mm-hmm. you got to be lucky. You got to make sure, re- like, the player developing right, the injuries. That does not does not slow the development. The draft, you're hoping that the player that you're drafting will be good in the system, won't be bust. There's so many things that comes into hand because the rebuild doesn't work. And I hope that's not gonna happen like it happened in Edmonton Oilers, but it took 10 years of rebuilding and McDavid. So let me let me play devil's devil's advocate for a second here. Sometimes when you have a McDavid, you're too reliant on a McDavid. We're seeing it right now with Jack Hughes with the New Jersey Devils, uh, that if Jack Hughes doesn't produce, they don't win too many games. When he produces a lot, they win. When he doesn't produce as much, they lose. Same thing with the orders and McDavid. Let me play devil's advocate. Caden Gooley is better than he was a year ago. Yes, he was. Yes, is better than he was a year ago. Yes, he is. When we saw Kirby Doc start the season – he looked like he was taking another step as well. Jordan, yeah, but not, but not, but not, but not, but now you'll be, you'll take a step back. Justin Barron is better than he was yes. a, a year ago. Yes. Um, so look, there, there's not many who are better than they were a year ago, but there are some. So, you know, if you take a look at their points, yeah, 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 I'm but like, yeah, but Tony, I'm Tony, an emotional guy. Yeah, but Tony, look at the most important player. Is Cofield is better than last year? No. 
Okay. Is Suzuki's better than last year? No. Is Anderson better than last year? No. Wow. Those are your top guys, Tony. Like those are your core. Those are the people that need to help you win. That's the most important thing. Don't talk to me about a secondary guy that are in there not to score but to carry this team. I know. You know, it's a good point, George. George, I'm not going to lie to you. It's a good point. At the same time, I can say this: if we would have had this conversation a month ago, the way Suzuki and Caulfield started, especially Caulfield, we would have said that Caulfield had improved. So now yeah. he goes into a skid, and now we're saying he didn't get better. It's all Tony, relative, it's, it's, Tony. It's a big skid. Two goals, five on five. It's a big skid. He's called a couple overtime goals, so that's why it's like people are not so much panicking. I think he'll be okay, and and goals should be coming soon because I don't think it's a lack of trying from his side. But uh, you know what? Uh, if you look at, like, we know this is not going to make the playoff. Yeah. But we need at least these guys to be evolving and to go like this. I, um, I want to get back to Bergevin for a second. He was hired if memory serves me well, May 2nd, 2012, something like that. Anyway, long story short, you remember the season they had hi- they had, had under previous general manager who was what, Pierre Gauthier? Remember the uh, season they had had? No. They had finished third last, I think, in the league. Okay. So that's the year, Bergevin's first year, as soon as he gets hired, they have the draft in Pittsburgh, and they draft Galchenyuk third overall. Okay. Um, when they did the interviews, when Jeff Molson did the interviews with Pierre Maguire, with Mark Bergevin, with Julian Brisebois, I believe Blair Mackesy was interviewed as well back. Then. There were a couple. Okay, memory serves me well. Yeah. Jeff Molson at the press conference when they hired Mark Bergevin said that he fit the criteria. And one of the things they were looking for was to make the team better right away. I wonder what would have been if he would have accepted, if Molson would have accepted the rebuild right then and there, because you had finished third last the season before. They thought they were better than that. So they ended up trying to patch the team right away. And they ended up being better than that. Only four, five or six years later to go back to dipping a bit. But I wonder if, they would have been the re- they would have done the rebuild in 2012. What could have been? You know why they could have never done that? Because of price, you're gonna tell me. Exactly. The people were paying money to go secure a price making the big saves. Well, you would have you made get, a lot of saves you, you trade you trade you you trade carry. Yes. You get a lot. Two first rounder, I have no doubt. But Tony, you get no fans in the building. He's the best goal in his generation. He's the rear condition of Patrick Roy. He's the best. And if he didn't get hurt, who, God knows what he would have done with that team. Tony, no. Fuck you, couldn't, you, couldn't, you, couldn't, you couldn't have traded a carry George, prize. George, no way. George. I, I, a, I didn't say to trade him. The, the, Canadian, the Canadian is still hurt by the Patrick Roy trade. Yeah, I hear you. I didn't say to trade him. But at the same time, and it's easier to say. Yeah, like, but I Tony, admit, but I Tony admit, if you're rebuilding, if you're rebuilding yeah. you would have had to trade okay, him. Okay, perfect. So I admit it's easier to say now. But could you imagine what the return would have been for Carey Price after winning four individual awards? Tony, Tony, it would have been it would have been insane. It would have been insane. Look, and 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 he would have had three cups by then. By with now. all due respect, I don't go to arenas to watch goalies play. That's me. But, but I'm not going to yeah, lie to you that the, some people did. Yeah, of course. They yeah, did. but the, yeah, but the history of goaltending in Montreal, you know, 
we're, we're used to that. We have the best goalies in history of the NHL. So people were used to it. And you're right. In Montreal, we didn't, we didn't celebrate players go coast to coast to go score. We celebrate Carey Price making miraculous save. You know, those Gleda Fleur time with all these top scores that we've had. Yeah. When Kovalev is the last pure goal score that we, we've had that had a point of game that was electrifying, you know? And that's why after that, okay, Carey... So- so let me ask you this then, because it's two years to the day that Mark Bergevin and Trevor Timmons were relieved of their duties. I asked you, I said, two years later, do you think they made the right move? You said it's not a fair question because Bergevin's mandate was to win right yeah. away at that point, And he got the team to the final the year before he got fired. And uh, and um, Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon, their mandate is to go on a rebuild. Perfect. And, and, and Tony, by the way, yeah, they're, they're on a rebuild right now. So if they yeah. don't make it minimum to the Stanley Cup final, Bergeron would have done better. How remember, because remember, people, if you ask the question, people are going to say, the new management is better. Okay, let's see the result. Because they have to win the cup or at least make it to the final. Otherwise, they didn't do better. That's I, the I don't, pressure, I don't that's the pressure they have, and that's where they have to go. I don't necessarily agree, and I'm going to tell you why, okay? Because Bergeron got the team to the Stanley Cup final. I tip my hat, Okay. Some will say it was a COVID year. They should have never made the playoffs. He got the team to the Stanley Cup final. Okay? Yeah. yeah. But after it all fell apart. After that Stanley Cup final, yes, he was unlucky. There was the injury to Shea Weber. Very unlucky. The injury to Carey Price. Very unlucky. All that stuff. Okay? Mind you, when they went to pick up Shea Weber and they made that trade, he was already pretty damaged. Okay? Tony, Tony, the lightning, take out Vasilevsky and Edmund. What do you see how they're going to look like? I understand that. But what I'm getting at is if Jeff Gordon and Kent Hughes can take a group, go through a rebuild, make it a very competitive team, they don't have to get to the final. They can get to semifinals two times, three times. They're very competitive, sustainable, six, seven, eight years at that level. That's better than getting to a Stanley Cup final once. Again, that that, that defense, Tony. Uh, I don't see any banners for making to the second round up in the rafter. The rafter is only Stanley Cup. And finalists sometimes trip to the final. But Tony, I don't agree with the fact that, and I understand what you're saying. Regularly make it to the second round or third round versus Stanley Cup final? No, there's no banner for that, Tony. Yeah, there, is a ban- that, but- there is a banner for finalists. There is not for second round. But up, I understand what you're saying. Up and down seasons, there's a lot of patch jobs. It wasn't sustainable. Okay, so let me ask you this, then. This will be fair, okay? When Jeff Molson called Mark Bergevin and said, you're relieved of your duties, after that phone call was completed, he picked up the phone and he issued the same phone call to Trevor Timmons. Yeah. When you take a look at Timmons' body of work, and you take a look now, it's a couple of years that the Canadians have a new director of scouting. It's Martin Lapointe and Nick Bobrov who share those responsibilities. Were they right in relieving Timmons of their duties, of his duties? Tony, how many players right now in the lineup are Timmons? There's lots, right? Uh, so let's go through it. Uh, Cole Caulfield is one. Yeah, Goulet. Caden Gooley is another. Yeah. Price. Well, well Price not on the Gallagher. team. No, 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 I know, but I'm saying. Okay, Gallag- Gallagher is a about. Trevor Timmons pick, yeah. yes. Yeah, but but Tony, anyway, what I want to say regarding that, right? It's yeah. not even important. Take any team in your NHL. Hmm. I'm going to show you each year 
teams that scout made mistake. Of course. Every team, every team does. Yeah. In Montreal, everything is magnified. So we're not going to look that other team does mistake. We're just going to look at the mistake that we did because, again, we're all GM. We all know after we did, we could have had him, could have had him. It is so easy to say after. Jaden Struble is another time, one, by the way. At the time that the draft is made, not much people are arguing because they don't know. You don't know what's going to happen when you draft someone. It's, a, it's too easy to say after, mistake this, mistake that, mistake this. You know? So that's why to condemn a guy after the draft is done, years later, to say that it was shit? No. Everything makes mistakes, and sometimes you have to be lucky. Of course, there's some phenom, yeah. exceptional year that you cannot make a mistake. Yeah. Like, for example. By the way, by you, the way. I, hold on, hold on. I'll give you Pizzetta, one. Pizzetta, Yelonen, and hold, Jake wait, wait, Evans. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. I'll give you one that Montreal made, a mistake they made. When they drafted Kotyaniemi, yeah. I said they should have took Kachuk. I said that. At the draft, I was saying that. Not after. Yeah. Not yeah. after we saw what Kachuk did because I saw the power forward. We, never, we, we had a chance to have one. Montreal was stick on having a four or like a center. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they went with him. So, mm-hmm. you know, some people agree, some didn't. But of course, if we had Kachuk today, would you imagine? Yeah. And at this year's draft, time will tell, but I disagree about not taking Mitchkov. You know, that, that's I, another I, thing. So, I, I, so we'll, I see, we'll see. So we'll see the future, but not like. Not everyone comes to conclusion at the time of the draft. Yeah. People in Montreal, they look at years later and they look at guys that we pass on and then they go through all this list. When they didn't, if they didn't say anything at the draft at the moment they were making the pit, shut up. You're right about that. Hey, listen, I have the roster in front of me. So, Caden uh, Primo, Trevor Timmons draft pick, Raphael RV Pinard, Jordan Harris, Jaden Struble. Yessi Yelonen, um, Jake Evans, I told you, Gallagher we talked about as well, Cole Caulfield, Caden Gooley. It's quite a few Trevor Timmons picks there still on that team. Quite a few. Half the team are his picks. So, again, it's too easy to condemn guys after. So, I, he did a good job. So, you think he did a good job? Yeah. Yeah. Did. Look, I, I think you're right that I think, first of all, I think it's the hardest job in hockey is an amateur scout. I think that's the yeah. hardest job in hockey. Um, you're right that a lot of people, they, they you know what? They, they strike out sometimes. Uh, there's a lot of good picks later. I think the thing that hurt him the most were the strikeouts that were first-round picks. Those are the ones that obviously leave a dent and leave a scar, right? Okay. Um, Corey Perry. You were... You were waived at one point by the Montreal Canadiens. I don't want to bring up bad. Uh, no, I was released. Bad, I was bad, released. No, it's not bad for you, right? Tony, you, you were released. It's, not, it's, Tony, it's not bad memories. 13 okay. years in the NHL, getting released, that's okay. no problem. It the happened, re- it happened re- to some of the greatest athletes. The reason why I bring it up is we saw Kyle Davidson's presser earlier this evening. This guy looked rattled, okay? The Blackhawks sent out a press release saying that Corey Perry was released. They've terminated his contract. He's going to go on waivers. If he clears waivers, his contract is terminated. They don't want to know nothing, okay? It was called, Kyle Davidson called it a workplace matter. 
I, I know, I know, I, I know what happened, Tony. I got uh, okay. So, okay, don't know. I'm gonna be very careful. I'm gonna say it, okay, because I don't want to get sued. And this is a, this is pr- privacy matter, okay. But uh, I know exactly what happened inside the organization. The problem what happened. So it had nothing to do with Bedar and his mom. It had nothing to do with that. The, the, that's, that's the one thing that I could confirm to you. It had nothing to do with it. The only thing that I could say is that I understand why the Blackhawks had to do this. And what I could tell you is any team in the NHL would have done the same. The reason why I cannot say what it is is because if I mention it, I need someone to supporting what I'm going to say. Because if somebody doesn't, I could get sued for defamation. Of course, and no a lot of a lot of media know this right now. A lot of media that talks about hockey, a lot of insiders know exactly what happened. They're not going to say anything because there's a process into this, and if you do say something, you could get sued. So I know what happened. I can only say I understand why they made that move. Any team would have made that move, but I can't say anything more than that. I, I feel really bad for that kid that some guy goes on Twitter with like 2,000 followers or whatever it is, puts that out there. So it's, not true. It spreads <laughs> It spreads like wildfire, okay? Um, could you imagine how tough that must be for him, Tony. mother, his family, their friends, their support group, everyone, and, and... For the next 15 years of his career, he's going to have some idiot on another team who's going to bring it up, and it's probably going to happen uh, every game for the next 15 years. Tony, uh, I, hold on. There's two things regarding that. There won't be anybody from other team that will say that to him because everybody knows. The players on other team knows what happened. They're not going to say anything. And they know his mom has nothing to do with it. Hockey is a small family, Tony. When you play the game, when you talk to players that play the game, it doesn't take time. It's a family. Everybody's friends and team. Everyone knows what happened. So I could guarantee you that no players will say that because his mom had nothing to do with it. Some fans will. Some fans will. Yeah. Because there's some stupid site that put out that rumor. And because the team didn't say anything, and now because they still doesn't say anything, there's so much different interpretation of what happened. People have no idea. So they're digging, they're inventing stuff. But I'm telling you right now, it has nothing to do with that. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. So based on what you told me, Corey Perry's career in the National Hockey League is over. I'm not going to say anything um, regarding – I'm not going to suggest and say anything like this. All I'm going to say – Do you think another team will pick him up? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to give any hints. All I'm going to say is I understand why they did what they had to do. And uh, that's it. Tony, I cannot I I can't give any hint. I cannot say anything because it's a sensitive matter. I, I, I can yeah. tell you personally, one-on-one, I'll tell you after. But I cannot sit down in the air. It's going to yeah, be no, picked no. up. It's yeah. going to be picked up, and I, I can't go there. All right, I hear you. Uh, it was the quarter mark, or it is the quarter mark of the Canadian season. And uh, Josh Anderson, I want to talk to you about him. We all know that it's a it's an incredibly disappointing season thus far. Zero goals, two assists. Earlier today, uh, he did a little bit of extra time at practice with Pozzetta and Armia. 
He's going up against the Columbus Blue Jackets. This is his former team. This is where he had his best season. Marty St. Louis continues to use Anderson 15 minutes a game, first wave power play. I'm going to go strong here. You ready? Yeah. I'm making him a healthy scratch at Columbus. You know, Tony, um, without what? looking at... Okay, okay, hold on. What bigger message to send to your team? Okay, hold, on, hold on. First of all, Tony, without looking at the stats, I'm going to tell you that I, lo- I love Josh Anderson. I'm not looking at his stats. I love Josh Anderson. I love that he's a big man, that, that he could skate, that he's strong. I love all that about him, that he's not afraid of anyone. Now, what I don't love about him right now is the fact that what made it successful about getting points, being successful, and when he's driving to the net, when he's a physical force, and when he's going wide going to the net, when he's hitting guys. Ever since Jack I has been in lineup, I don't see that physical force as it used to be before. That's what was giving him success. That's why he's not scoring right now. When I look at him in the power play, Tony, he's uh-huh. on the half board. He's not in front of the net. A big body like that should be in front of the net, hiding the goalie, and no demon could push him out of the net because he's too strong, he's too big. He doesn't have the best hand, so what he's doing in a power play to making pass and stuff, I don't understand it. He's the top 30th forward in the NHL with power play time, and he has no goals. So I, w- I don't know about putting him in a power play, but what I do know, I would sit with him and talk to him to be the player to play the way he was playing before to have success, which is being physical, intimidating force, a power forward, try to go to the net. Not much, too much finesse. Go to the net, rush the net, finish your check. That's Josh Anderson. We don't see that. That's why he's invisible at night. But he does have the potential to be a power forward. He didn't just lose that overnight. I believe in him. He has the skills to do so, but you know what? It's because he's not playing the way that he's capable of playing, and that's why the production is not there. He's so strong. He skates so fast. If you take a look at NHL numbers, top skating speed, um, miles per hour, uh, you'll see that he's above. He's in the top percentile in the league. His speed bursts over 20 miles per hour. He's in the top percentile. Skating distance is is very, very strong as well. But then you start taking a look at his shooting percentage. It's weak. His offensive zone time is weak. His goals, obviously, he doesn't have any, so there's nothing to show over there. But the thing that bothers me, George, is that, once again, we talk about how big and how strong he is. You talk about him going to the net or not going. For me, I would say this. I would say, Josh, I think you're capable of scoring goals. You've done it before. I think you're capable of putting up points. You've done it before. I think you're capable of being a dominant player. You've done it before. Right now, unfortunately, the goals and the assists are not coming for you. But you're going to have to. If they're not coming, I want you to have more hits than any other forward on the team. And I want you to have just as many shots as 90% of the forwards on the team. So, I mean, Cole Caulfield can lead the forwards in shots. And maybe somebody else can come second, but you got to be top three every night. You got to be top three every night in, sh- in shots on the team. 
and you got to be top three or top two in hits. And that's the problem I have, George, is that besides the skating, which he does well, he's not bringing anything else. And that's well, why, for me, if he's not bringing anything else, he deserves to be scratched. He, he could be such an intimidating factor with his physical play. He could have so much more room. He gives so much more room to his teammates. Uh, I don't know if he's playing hurt, if his shoulder is bothering him because it's unlike him not to finish his check like he used to do. That I don't know. I don't know if he's playing hurt. Because Josh Anderson playing hurt is not the same as Josh Anderson that is healthy. So is it the reason why he's not hitting? I don't know. But I've never seen him play like this. Usually, he's a force. He's, he's a true power forward. He doesn't play like one right now, and it's not working. And that's why I just hope that, uh, you know, he figures it out because, you know, he could turn it up like this because he has all the tools. And I would not healthy scratch him, Tony. I would just sit with him, talk with him, because he brings a dimension that the Canadian needs. He's the only big power forward left on this team. And, uh, you know, obviously you don't have Armia that's going to play that role. And uh, Pezzada plays a physical role, but it's different. Yeah. You know, it's an agitator role and a fourth liner energy role. Anderson plays a lot of minutes and he could give some rules to t- teammates. And now with Jack Eye Hurts, you know, he could stand up for his teammates because Jack Eye is not playing. And that's uh, another factor that we need him in lineup. So I would not have scratch him. And especially not, I get his 40 team that he played, uh, that he played with for four years because. If there's one game that Josh Anderson could turn the season around, it's against that team, against that team that traded him to show them that, you know, he's still good. And hopefully after he has a big game and then he he starts up after it. They are, the Canadians have the second lowest winning percentage in the East, second only to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Big George, thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. I look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Awesome. On BPM spot at around 12.40 p.m. Eastern. Ciao, bud. Yeah, and not, not too much la bit TV before I talk tomorrow. Okay, try not to. Ciao, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. All right, there you have it, George Larac. All right, earlier today, uh, earlier this afternoon, I had a chance to talk with former Montreal Canadian Mike Johnson. Here it is. Mike, it's officially the quarter mark of the Montreal Canadian season. We actually had a show on that last night with former NHLer Philip Boucher and former Quebec Major Junior Hockey League scout, Simo the Snake Boisvert. We talked about surprises for the Montreal Canadiens. We talked about disappointments. We talked about their record. I'd love to hear from you. Mm -hmm. Mike, they have three points less this season after 23 games than they had a year ago. But, you know, they have some pretty significant injuries, notably to Kirby Doc and to David Savard. Your thoughts? It feels sort of like where they should be, Tony. I, I know they want to be better, and I don't elements of how they've gotten to where they are that you won't like, and we can get into that. But I think this is kind of what the Habs were going to be. They were going to be a team that scraps and claws and plays pretty hard. They're going to be probably a team that's around 500, slightly below, and they're going to be a team that is trying to play younger players in really important roles and have them grow in to their roles uh, that are maybe a bit bigger than what they might be given on a different kind of team. So, yeah, they, they should struggle. There should be some good moments, some not so good moments, but there are some surprises. Really, you know, the offense, Cole Caulfield not scoring with the same regularity that we thought he would. That's a surprise, probably a bit of a disappointment. 
Kate Cooley look like like he, he's a 10-year vet and will play manage up for 20 more years. That's a great surprise. Maybe it's not even a surprise, but it's a great development. So there's you know, back and forth, it's gone different ways. The five-on-five goaltending has been spectacular the entire season. Both goalies, you give credit, they, they've both been really good. So some positives, some negatives on the picture, Tony. It's not that surprising. I probably would have predicted they are they would be about where they are. I mean, are you surprised with where they're at? No, no, I'm 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 not to tell you the truth. I figured this is where they would be. Right now they have I think it's the second worst winning percentage in the East. I think it's seventh or eighth worst in the National Hockey League. And I figured at best case scenario, the Canadians were probably gonna finish twenty second this year. Um Maybe yes, maybe no. But, you know, Mike, mm-hmm. I wondered if in Montreal or in the province of Quebec or Canadians fans or members of the media would accept a rebuild for the Montreal Canadians if it would be accepted by the fan base. And so we're mm-hmm. a couple of years in. The Canadians finished with the fifth worst record in hockey last season, with the worst record in hockey the year before that. This is year three of the rebuild. You know as well as I do that some rebuilds will take five years. Some might even take six or seven. This is year three, and already some are starting to say, ah, oh, okay, they got to turn it around <laughs> now, right? Lacking a little bit of patience. Phil Boucher, like I told you, joined me yesterday, and he's like, you know what? We're not there yet, but pretty soon here, sooner rather than later, the Montreal Canadiens are going to have to, in his opinion, trade a couple of prospects or trade a couple of draft picks go out and acquire players that can help them right away, Uh, go on the free agent market, try and sign one or two players, and try and accelerate the rebuild the way the Detroit Red Wings have done. I don't know if that's Mm going to work. Your thoughts? Um, I would be, not my money, it's not my fan interest that I'm measuring, right? So I'm operating the vacuum where I'm not running the business of the Canadians, and there is an element of it to it. I think you're better off staying the course for a couple years longer. And, and this is what always happens, right? Fans or teams, they get so frightened of being un- unsuccessful, having poor records. Everyone sort of embraces a rebuild because, you know what, let's strip it down, let's build it. And, and the first year is exciting because you think what might be possible. And you're thinking like getting rid of players that weren't helping you anyways and get young guys who might help you in the future. Everyone gets excited there. And the third year comes around and, and you don't want to keep waiting. But the Canadians, as you know, have many play- members of their team on contracts that they would probably prefer not to have on their roster right now. And, you know, it takes time to flush all that out. And then the difference, too, is you want Can- – the Montreal Canadians are very deep and heavy with good defenseman prospects. They are so less sexy and so much less fun – than having good forward prospects, right? If you knew, if Lane Hudson was a forward, like a player like that was in college, you're like, oh, we can't wait. Like, let's get this guy in here. You know, Gaden Gooley was a forward. Like, here we go. We got a guy, I guess that's what Skowski's supposed to be. That's what Caulfield's supposed to be. They haven't quite gotten there. So I think that's also part of it. They ha- they don't have the shiny forward star player in the in the waiting. Uh, so that might, that might also affect the amount of patience people have but i would say no not yet because i know detroit has basically turned their entire team over virtually in the last two years all these free agents all these older guys and they're having a better start to this season tony what's the goal are we trying to win a stanley cup are we trying to be better because detroit's not winning a stanley cup 
They're good. They're fine. They're not going to win a Stanley Cup. And so I don't know if expediting a rebuild by going to sign veteran guys to contracts that you probably won't like in two or three or four years is going to get the team to the very finish line. They'll be better. They'll be more competitive, more entertaining, maybe make the playoffs. But I don't know if you're building a Stanley Cup winner like that. I'd say stay the course this year, maybe one more, and then you see where you're at. Mike, as our viewers know who are watching uh, on YouTube, on Facebook, and on Twitter, uh, this chat that we're having is pre-recorded, all right? And so I bring it up because I just got news. This just in. Corey Perry's contract has been terminated by the Chicago Blackhawks. Your thoughts? So um, my first thought is always, I don't know what's going on with Corey Perry in his life something obviously going on with his life and you hope that that's okay with him and his family chicago blackhawks are an organization that is under justifiably an incredible amount of scrutiny for the how they would handle any sort of violation of anything whether it's an hr violation or a violation or a team rule or whatever it might be given the history there so they're the blackhawks would err on the side of being stern and strict and 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 really follow the, the rules of the of the organization. And I guess terminating the contract, not which is different than saying we're not gonna have him around for whatever reason. Because you know, Tony Marinero and Corey Perry got in a fight, they don't like each other. We're not he's he still has his contract, he's just not playing with us. We're gonna do something else with him. Terminating his contract means um, you know, he's done something something has happened that is severe enough to warrant that outcome. We don't know what that is. Um, but it's severe enough that they feel comfortable both uh, on a moral ground, I suppose, and probably more importantly on a legal ground that they can do this and not really have it be a problem. So that's unsettling because, you know, that, that means that Corey Perry, something's going on in his life that's, that's, uh, that's not good. For a team to terminate your contract, we know that something happened that the team didn't think was kosher. Um. But it's almost it's more than that, right? Yeah, but it's what I'm getting at is because probably like, the last contract of his career. And isn't it sad Yeah, if it yeah. ends this way for Corey Perry? I was with Alain Chenet yesterday, right? And Alain Chenet was, uh, of course, a big part of the scouting department with the Anaheim Ducks. And he was very influential in being part of a, a scouting team that drafted Getzlaff and Perry. He told me yesterday that they had Getzlaff at number eight on their list, and they had Corey Perry at number 12 on their list. And they knew that Perry's skating was deficient at the time or not up to par. Perry ended up going 24th. And Alain was telling me, he said, he watched the playoff game, and I'm, I'm trying to remember where it was, but I'll probably get Alain on at one point to recall the story, but he said it was it was hostile environment, they were picking on Perry the whole time and stuff like that. He ended up scoring three goals, and then he was like playing to the crowd type of thing, and he said it showed unbelievable mm. character on his part. And uh, he was telling me that they wanted him so badly, they ended up trading two second-round picks to Dallas to get Dallas's 24th pick, and that's when they drafted him. I mean, such a character player, such a character career, if it ends mm -hmm. this way, that's pretty sad. It, well, listen, if, if for anyone, 
career to end this way would be sad. For a guy that's had a long storied borderline Hall of Fame career to go out this way would be sad. But I'll just say this, completely open mind. We can have this conversation if we were to find, when we find out, if we find out what exactly transpired, mm-hmm. we can have that conversation about how this is, or maybe have a conversation where something happened where he doesn't deserve quite as much sympathy. Like, I, I don't know what's happened. So, yeah. you know, nothing, something has happened enough that Chicago has terminated the contract. So Corey was involved in something. And we'll have to wait to see what that is because yeah. there are things that you can and cannot do and things that are um, forgivable and can move fast and things that are, are less so, especially in today's society. So we'll have to wait and see what comes out of there. But that is, I mean, and I don't know. I mean, given now that it's terminated, I don't know if Corey Perry tries to do that and try to get his money out of this year or did he let it go and just yeah. disappears. And we'll never know because I probably, given clearly how severe whatever happened was, I'm not sure we'll ever hear from the parties involved exactly what happened. All right. Uh, back to the Canadians then. Mm. Marty St. Louis comes in and there's this honeymoon, of course, like there always is for any new coach. Marty gets even more sympathy because he's a guy from here, born and raised in Laval, went on to have a Hockey Hall of Fame career, Stanley Cup winner, leader, character guy, all of that. But now I'm Mm -hmm. starting to see in the chat over the last couple of weeks, and you're starting to see it on social media, where for some, the honeymoon is over with Marty St. Louis. And I'm talking about uh, members of, uh, you know, the the fan base or maybe even some members Mm -hmm. of the media. I personally think that Marty, although not perfect, nobody is. I think that he is the right person for the job during this time. In the context that is basically, they wanted a guy who can come in, implement a bunch of offensive concepts, try to reprogram the players or teach them how to play the game his way or the modern way, try and improve the IQ of the players. Winning is mm-hmm. secondary right now, as much as he wants to do it. There's no expectations on this team. They're in a rebuild. Personally, I think he's the perfect guy for the job. But Cole Caulfield said something on the Ray and Dregs podcast, something to the effect of, you know, Marty's more of a teacher than he is a coach. I don't have a problem with it because I think that's what the actual context is now. But do you Mm -hmm. think hearing that some will have a problem with it, hearing that the coach is more of a teacher than he is a coach? Well, how does that comment strike you, if any? You know, it probably strikes me as accurate is what it strikes me as. And, you know, I, I think when we when Marty got there, you mentioned all the things he did well and why it makes sense and the sort of energy and passion that he brings. Uh, but part of his job was to part of what made him attractive was that he could teach and not just implement systems, but try to teach players. Because it's amazing, Tone, in the NHL, while we all get coached, we don't get taught anything. Like we're kind of in the NHL as finished products. You don't get a lot of, there's not a lot of time to coach and the willingness of players and their ability to adapt and change on the fly in seasons is really hard to execute. So um, Marty was trying to take that on. And should we be surprised Tony at all? That Marty Delaware, who's never been behind a bench at a level higher than high school, uh, you know, as a head coach prior to this, not be as good a bench boss tactician coach in the traditional sense 
as guys who've done it for 10, 15, 20 years. Even if Marty's the best former player out there coaching the NHL, Rick Tockett, like, but he's not a guy with that much experience. I say it all the time. I had Wayne Gretzky, my coach, the best player of all time. He'd never coached before. His first year coaching, he was not as good a coach as he was his second year coaching. It doesn't matter how smart you are and as a player, when it comes to some of the stuff you have to do, managing a bench, working the officials, game planning, mid-game adjustments, all that stuff, they're learning as they go. And Marty is learning as they go, as he goes. Now, he's been at it for a couple of years. He's very bright, as you know. I'm sure he's yeah. quite proficient at it. But it's not surprising to hear that, you know, based when you compare him to traditional coaches, he would not be the same. And probably there'd be parts of the job he wouldn't be as good at, but there's parts of the job he's way better at. And that's the part that Montreal cares about more. Mike, we know obviously that coaches evaluate players, but we also know that players amongst you guys probably evaluate coaches. I don't know if you were ever involved in a couple of text messages or what's up or what, there's probably, there wasn't what's up at the time, but you know, talking to some of your buddies, over and a saying, beer, Tony. we'd have it over a beer. You have it over a beer, right? And, and some of you yeah. probably said, you know what? The game went a little fast for that coach that night. Um, sure. Are you more lenient in terms of that kind of critique, in terms of that kind of conversation when your players, when your coach is a superstar, was a, was a superstar player? No, not at is all. Is it worse? Is it worse? Went, because... Well, no, not, not worse. But like, again, Wayne Gretzky was not spared. You know, when he took me off the power play, he was not Wayne Gretzky, my childhood idol. He's a coach that I don't think he's in the power play properly. Like, that's how you view them. This yeah. is the NHL. They're not the player anymore. They're the coach. And absolutely, I don't think to a higher standard, but they're not held to a lower standard because they were great players. They're the same as everyone else. And if they, you know, if there are a moment where for Marty or for Wayne or for any coach in the NHL where the game got going too fast, he lost track of something, he made a bad call, he didn't use the lines right, whatever matchups got away from him. Players know this. Players recognize what's going on. And, you know, you might have that conversation over one night. Well, that, was a, that, well, that wasn't ideal. And I'm not suggesting that the Montreal Canadiens have a group chat saying Marty doesn't know what he's doing. But if there's a moment where that we call the timeout there, you know, we all, like, players have opinions. We're not always right. We're probably wrong more often than not. Yeah, but yeah. they would share that. Absolutely. Absolutely. That would be completely normal. And, um, and, and every coach in the league should expect it. You know what's blown me away, Mike? has been Marty's humility. Not that it surprises me, mm. but when you're a coach, you don't like to be second-guessed, and you don't like to say, that one's on me, or I messed right. up, or it was going really fast. Or to be honest with you, I don't have the answer to your question. I need to go back, watch. Like Marty, he does that quite often, where he'll say that either it went fast he did that more so at the beginning or he missed it or that one's on him or he needs to be a little bit better or he needs to look into a little bit more. So I, you know what? I, I, I think everyone recognizes that it's a team that's rebuilding with a coaching staff that is going through a movement as well and, and, and gaining experience every day. But the fact that he's approached it with a lot of humility, I think a lot of people are right. You know what? I'm okay with that. It's okay that he's learning. And I like that he said that. Yeah, listen, I'm obviously biased. I know Marty. 
I've known him for 25 years. We've played together. I have so much respect for him and his career and his family and all of it. So, I, you know, I'm not, not impartial. But I think the humility speaks to the confidence. And that's why when you talk to people, when I talk to the players in the summers, they love Marty. Like they, they, they go through a wall for Marty because he is humble. But the, humble, the humility is not necessarily born out of um, a lack of knowledge and willing to say, I, I messed up. It's more, I trust in who I am so much that I'm okay with saying, I don't know. I'll, I got to figure that out. I'm working on it. We don't have that. You know, it's, it's the ones who are less comfortable, less confident, that would feel they have to have an answer for anything because they're worried they might be judged if they don't. Marty's not worried about being judged for what he doesn't know. He, he you know, he, he's, he's working and learning at, like everyone should be as he goes to get better. Um, I could listen. I, I laugh. I laugh with Marty because when, when I first met Marty in Tampa, so he was quiet. Like, you know, he was, I think he might've been like the lowest paid guy in the league, making 185 Canadian, like coming out of Wave in Calgary and the minors and some little tiny college kid and nobody knew who he was. And he didn't say much. And I could now listen to him talk at his pressers like he's Shakespeare. Like he, I find him so eloquent and on point with so many of the things that he says. Um, he's come a long way there. But I think that, that humility should resonate with people. I think people want candor, want honesty. And if a yeah. coach doesn't know the answer and they are not machines, they're not computers, there are moments where they don't have it or they'll get the wrong answer because they're human. I don't. I think people probably appreciate someone who's willing to say that more than someone who tries to act like they always have this. The, uh, and I think you just hit it, but the, one of the parts that has surprised me the most is his comfort level with the media and his willingness to give you a little bit more and his willingness to give you some of those quotes. Um, because when I was doing some reporting and I would be in those visiting team locker rooms for whatever reason, I just, um, I always found it difficult with Marty St. Louis. I had a feeling that he either didn't like the media. Now he didn't, you know, I didn't know him and he didn't know me. And I'm sure if we would have known each other, it probably would have helped. It couldn't have hurt. But I always found that his guard was up. I always found that he wasn't really in the mood to talk. And when the Canadian so the edge, him, the edge, yeah. Tony, the edge he carried himself with as like the small guy who was questioned, he, he, he had a hard time dropping that until he got away from the ring. Like he was in game mode. And I think, you know, for a long time with the media, he had that guard up as well. Those born out of, you're too small to play in the NHL. All someone trying to pick at a problem he had. So he, he was not super open like he is now. Like yeah, it's, it's an yeah. entirely different person. He, you, you, you called it right. I think it's, it was, he had his shield. I'm here to play and prove people wrong. And that included the media after the game was over. He just never really dropped until he got away from the ring. All right. Uh, earlier today, doing a little bit of overtime, extra skating were Yoel Armia, Michael Pizzetta, and Josh Anderson. The Canadians are set to take on Columbus tomorrow night. Josh Anderson has zero goals and two assists in 21 games. Here's a guy who previously had scored 27 goals in Columbus. Um, and here's, mm. here's a guy who was good in preseason. One of the challenges that I have, and there's different schools of thought in this, is that Marty keeps on giving Josh ice time. Some will say it's commendable because he wants to show his player that he still has confidence in him. 
And others will say, mm-hmm. it all depends on which view you look at this, right? Others will say, ah, he hasn't yet had the courage to sit Anderson on the bench for a period or to even make him a healthy scratch because it's more difficult for him to do that. I don't think it should be difficult for him because I almost get the feeling that Marty can have this job as much as he wants. And he has total support from everyone. Kent Hughes, Jeff Gordon, Jeff Molson, the list goes on and on. But how should Marty handle the Josh Anderson situation where he's put him on the top line with Suzuki and Caulfield. He's put him on the second line. Now he's got him on the third line. He has him on the first wave of the power play all the time. The power play hasn't scored a goal in six games, and he's still out there on the first wave of the power play. He's getting double ice time than Yulinen did on Friday when Yulinen was probably better. If you're Marty St. Louis, how do you know how do you handle Josh Anderson's situation? So I would probably have handled it very similarly up to this point or like, you know, up for the first 15 games or whatever you want to give a guy who's been a veteran time. So long as he's working, I think Josh Anderson, for the most part is, is working. It's not like he's not trying. It's just not work. It's not going for him, but like the energy's there. He's skating. He, he, he's engaged. It's just not, it's not, it's not productive. I would give a guy all kinds of time to try to figure that out. And again, rem- reminding that we're not necessarily here to win every single game. Uh, we can try to, Think of the law, the big picture, which is Anderson needs to play, play well. Maybe if you want to trade Josh Anderson, he needs to play and play well and score. But at some point, and we're probably at that point, Tony, there are different ways you can affect a player's role on a team. And if he's giving a scoring role and he's just not scoring, at some point, and I love process over results. Like, you know, I like the numbers that like you'll get there eventually. At some point, the results have to be there. The process doesn't really matter quite as much. Like, this is the NHL. Like, if you're on the power play, you have to contribute and pick up power play points. So the power play has to score goals if you want it. If you're on the front line with Caulfield and Suzuki, like, you've got to help them score or score yourself or pick up points. And if you don't, what you do, like, you respect the veteran and the effort, you just don't go on the power play anymore. And you don't get to go on the first line. Maybe you play on the second line or the third line or the fourth line. And then eventually you say, listen, we're going to give somebody else a chance to do it if you're not getting it done. And they're probably around that point now. I would not keep putting them on the first power. I would not. I think I'd let somebody else shot because it's not working with you. You start scoring, you get your confidence back, you'll be back on there. But for now, um, you've, you've exhausted your way of opportunity when it comes to the premium ice time. You still can be on my roster. You still get to play. I'm not going to scratch you just yet. But as far as who you get to play with, all you get to play, we're going to have to dial that back a little bit until you get more productive. Mike, one quarter of the way into the season, now I'm talking about the entire National Hockey League, and I will leave you with this in ending. Um, in your opinion, the best team that you've seen one quarter mark into the season and the best player? The best, That's good stuff, Tom. The best team I've seen is probably Vegas. Scary to say. I know they're kind of going through a bit of a blip last couple of games, but not by way. Rangers have won, but they haven't always looked great doing it. Boston has won. They've not probably played quite as great doing it. Van, same thing. I think Vegas, up until the last three games, they've earned the results they've gotten, and they're they're a nightmare. The idea to play against them in playoffs would be a nightmare. Best player is Kale McCarr. That guy 
is ridiculous. Like, I don't know if we appreciate, you know, Colorado. We know he's a big star. Colin Smythe, Norris, you name it. He's won it all. I don't know if we appreciate how great he is and what he's doing. Uh, and has been doing not just this year, but since he started in the NHL. But the fact that he's third or fourth in the NHL in scoring, like a half a game, quarter of the way through, he's he's he has a shot. He has a shot. Was it Chris Pronger, last guy to win a Hart Trophy? Was a defenseman? He's shot to be in that conversation again. Uh, anytime um, a guy's in the same conversation as Bobby Orr, as far as stats are concerned, uh, and McCarr and Quinn Hughes have been in that conversation this year. And I got to tell you, the Vegas pick, if there's one game out of all the games in the National Hockey League that really stood out to me, it's the night that Vegas laid the smackdown on Colorado because Colorado was my pick going into the season to win the cup. A lot of it has to do with Kale mm-hmm. McCarr, by the way, and some of the, the young puck movers that they have on the fence. But Vegas, in one game, just destroyed and dismantled Colorado like I've never seen them dismantled before. Mm-hmm. That was probably the most impressive one-game performance I've seen from any team thus far this season after the one-quarter mark. So good answer by you, Mike. Mike, great stuff as always, and I look forward to talking to you again next week, my man. All right, chat soon. All right, cheers. There you have it, Mike Johnson of TSN. Good stuff there from Mike Johnson. I want to thank Mike, and I want to thank George Larac before him. Another day, another dollar, another night, another sick podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you liked it, like it, share with your friends, comment sick, S-I-C-K, S-I-C-K, S-I-C-K. And if you're going to listen on Apple, please leave us a five-star review. It's our way of feeling the love. Once again, special thanks to our partners and sponsors, Energy Transportation Group, La Bit at TB, and Playground. We'll be back tomorrow night. Montreal Canadiens will play the Columbus Blue Jackets and after the game, give or take, at around 10 o'clock, once again, same time, same place, I'll be here. And, of course, I'll not only break down the game, but I'll also be taking your phone calls tomorrow night because I'm sure a lot of you are going to have a lot of things to say. For Shane Gomo and Master Control, I'm Marinaro. Have a good night, everyone. Talk to you tomorrow. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground, your premier gaming destination. <laughs>